You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. Today we're going to talk about a better way to get along with our political relationships. Interesting topic for church, needs to be talked about. Last week was getting along with personal relationships. We were in Romans chapter 12. And in verse 2, Paul said not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he went on to list a number of things the way we should live. And I think he put verse 2 there first because really you don't get along with others if you're not getting along with yourself in between your ears. If, a toxic, if it's toxic up here, it's going to be toxic in your relationship. So that kind of has to come first. And all of February was a better way to think. And, of course, we had Dr. Carolyn Leaf with us. That helped us to understand that better. The whole year is going to be God has a better way. And I don't know if you noticed, but we have got new banners. And, wow, uh, just look t- take a look around. And we have all these different scriptures up there, all emphasizing God has a better way. Psalm 25, 4, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Psalm 138, 5, yes. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. All these verses there that we'll use throughout the year. So our whole theme for the year is God has a better way, and God also has a better way to get along with our political leaders. So that's where we're going this morning. We're going to be in Romans chapter 13, and I encourage you to to go there and look it up if you can, and uh, follow along with us on your notes as well. Um, I think Paul is... um, you know, in Romans 12, verse 2, he said, don't be conformed to this world. And we could automatically think, well, that means I don't have to be conformed to the political system of the world. So he's kind of cutting that off of the past right away here in chapter 13 where he says, you know what? No, you do have to mind the rulers of the land. And so that's where we're going this morning. Okay, a couple points. Number one, we have to recognize that God ordained government. Now, I know there's days where we say, really, God, you did ordain government? Like, I'm not so sure this government is of you. And uh, you could be of NDP flavor, you could be a liberal flavor, you could be a conservative flavor, and there's days you just wonder, God, are you really with this government? But Paul makes it pretty clear that God ordained the government. Now, keep in mind that when Paul wrote this, he wasn't living in Canada, he wasn't living in England, he wasn't living in Europe, he wasn't living in this century, living centuries earlier in Rome, and the ruler at the time was a guy named Nero. Anybody here named Nero? Nobody. Anybody name their kids Nero? No. You don't even name your dog Nero. Nero is not a... Because Nero wasn't a very nice guy. Uh, we name our children Paul or Peter or Andrew or these great names. But we don't name our children Nero because Nero was... Nero was nasty. And he was a tough... Uh, if you were a believer... Wow, Paul writes it during that time. He actually would take believers, Christians, dip them in wax and light them on fire to light up the gardens and light up the pathway. He was, he was not a nice man. And yet Paul during this time is writing about obeying government and that government put him to death. So the context is a little bit different than our context, but yet he says we need to realize that government has been ordained by God. That's Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Obey the government, for God is the one who put it there. All governments have been placed in power by God. Daniel put it this way. He determines the course of world events. He removes kings and sets others on the throne. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. God established three institutions. He established marriage or the home, he established the church, and he also established government. 
We find it after the fall of man. We find it after the flood that God established government. Government was his idea. It was a tool, if you like. It was, it's not perfect. It's not a cure-all. It doesn't get rid of sin in the world. It doesn't even bring peace to the world. There hasn't been a government yet that's been able to bring peace to this world. There was a Canadian group that did a study over the years of history, going back 3,600 years, and they could only find in all those 3,600 years, 200 and some years, there was actually peace on this earth. So uh, governments don't bring peace, but they're a tool that God set up to protect and to also to punish, to have a system in place that there's safety. There's not anarchy in the world. And government was his idea. Now, in the Old Testament, we find examples of laws on government. You'll find examples of laws on ceremonies regarding the temple. And you'll also find spiritual laws. I remember a guy one time explained that to me, and it really helped me, because I was struggling with some passage in the Old Testament. I said, okay, what was God thinking here? Like, how does this apply to my life? And sometimes people will cherry-pick a scripture and say, well, what about this? What are you Christians doing with this? Well, it's, that's Old Testament ceremonial law. All the laws that pertain to the temple and the ceremony, that was fulfilled in Christ when he became our sacrifice. So they're there. It's a great uh, type and shadow what Christ did for us, but we don't do the ceremonial laws. But a key thing to remember, in the Old Testament, there's also government laws because God was telling the people how to govern the land. For example, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. That's government law. We still have that today. If you do something, there's a punishment for it. Jesus said, though, you know what, I'll tell you a better way. He was talking about spiritual laws. So spiritual laws cover us today. That's just a side note, but it helped me understand some of the parts of the Old Testament. Aren't you glad you live in a country that has a good foundation and it's pretty easy to obey this government? Amen? Uh, if, you, if you're... If you're thankful for Canada this morning, would you give God a clap offering? If you're glad to live in this country, come on, let them know that, yay, God, I'm so glad to live in this land. We have something to celebrate. I think of all the people throughout all the ages, we're probably some of the most privileged people to live in this country, and it's pretty simple, pretty easy to obey the government compared to other countries and other times. And it's not by accident. Our, our country has a lot of privilege and freedom and so forth because of the forefathers and because of the foundation that was laid here. If you go to the Canadian Bill of Rights that John B. Diefenbaker in 1960 introduced, and you can Google this if you like, and, uh, but not now. You can Google it later. But uh, you can Google it if you want to. Just Google the Canadian Bill of Rights and read how it starts. Here's how our Bill of Rights starts. The Parliament of Canada affirming that the Canadian nation is founded upon principles that acknowledge the supremacy of God. This is your Canadian Bill of Rights. It acknowledges the supremacy of God. What a great foundation to build a nation on. 1981, Pierre Elliott Trudeau signed his name to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. We hear a lot about the Canadian Charter, Rights and Freedom. You know how it begins? Here's how it starts. Whereas Canada is founded upon principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of the law. So we live in a country that, yay, it's pretty straightforward to honor God and honoring the government because of the way it was founded. Even our national anthem, when we sing our national anthem, do you know that's actually a prayer? Old Canada is a prayer. God, keep our land glorious and free. That's a prayer. And the guy who wrote it was a judge. His, name, his last name was Weir, and he wrote this prayer for the land. And the last paragraph or the last stanza, we don't often sing, we rarely sing it, 
but it's basically a prayer for the dominion of Canada. It was called the dominion of Canada because one of our forefathers of Canada got up and they're saying, what do we name Canada? What do we call it? Do we call it the states of Canada? We call it, what do we call it? And in his prayer time, he came up with this, that it should, God should have dominion from sea to sea according to the Psalms. And so they introduced the dominion of Canada. Before we had Canada Day, it was actually called Dominion Day. July uh, 1 was Dominion Day because he would have dominion. This is, this is our heritage as Canadians. So we have a great foundation that we're to be thankful for. Let me give you a few examples. Leif Erikson came to this country in 1004. That's a few years ago, 1004. That's Canadian history for you. And uh, he became a Christian in Norway in 1003. And they found a Norseman bearing a Christian cross in Baffin Island, a silent witness to his testimony and his influence. John Cabot, he landed on the shores of Newfoundland in 1497. That's a few years ago. And uh, the motto on the Newfoundland and Labrador coat of arms still is, Seek you first the kingdom of God. This is your Canadian history. Jacques Carchet, uh, to commemorate the founding of Montreal, this well-known French explorer wrote in his diary, We all kneel down in the company of the Indians and with our hands raised toward heaven, yielded our thanks to God. So you know it's a Canadian thing to raise your hands to God? That's a Canadian tradition. I like what Nicky Gumbel says in one of the Alpha Talks. He says, you know, the early church all raised their hands to worship, to pray. So new forms of worship is like this, but traditional, old forms of worship is hands raised. So we like that traditional form of worship, raised hands. This Canadian here, Jacques Cartier, raised their hands toward heaven. And they said about him, they th said he had an amazing faith in Christ, and he prayed for the sick. And one person wrote of Jacques Cartier, one would have thought Christ had come down to earth to heal them. He was healing so many sick people. Jacques Cartier, way back in the 1400s. We could fast forward. I, I won't give you all a list of them, but there's a long list of people. Uh, George Vanier, if you're a football fan, you know the Vanier Cup that's played. And uh, he had this to say. He was a governor general from 1959 to 1967. And he said, let us seek faith, faith in God above everything, faith in Christ and in his church, and loyalty to our religious, moral, and cultural heritage. We could talk about Louis Riel. We could talk about John Robson. Everybody knows Robson Street. Robson, named after John Robson. And uh, he was a guy from B.C. He loved God, was passionate about seeing, especially the Lord's Prayer recited in schools. And he thought that Christianity should be the moral basis for our schools. So we've drifted a bit from there, but that was his idea. We could talk about the guy who started the Globe and Mail, many other people. But uh, Proverbs 22, 28 says this, Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. And our forefathers set some landmarks. They sent a bedrock for this great country. And... Uh, we don't want to remove that. Good countries don't happen by accident. This great nation of Canada is not an accident. There was a lot of faith and prayer and wisdom that went in to lay the foundation for the government here. And again, this country's a lot easier to say, yes, God, I'll obey the laws of the land than other countries. All governments, including this government, has been ordained by God. Ordained means it was his idea. And government was God's idea. Number two, we're supposed to submit to government authority. I know we don't like that submit word very much, but we're to submit to authority, submit to the government. In verse 5, Paul says, so you must obey the government for two reasons, to keep from being punished. If you break the law, you get punished. And to keep a clear conscience. So he says you need to obey the laws of the land. 
Uh, some laws of the land are easier to obey than others, you know. And, you know, speeding, that's, yeah, that can be a little tougher at times. Going through red lights, uh, that can be a little, uh, maybe I'm just preaching to myself, I don't know. Um, but some are a little more challenging than others. But then, nonetheless, the laws of the land, we're supposed to obey the laws of the land. There, there's a rule about not jaywalking. I don't know why that's funny, but, <laughs> but we, we do have a lot of people in our church that kind of like to just. There we go. Get under the microphone. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I had somebody text me after the 930 service. They said, FYI, I used the crosswalk. <laughs> so I don't know if that's you, but, uh, but they're the laws of the land. What are the laws of the land for? They're there to protect you, correct? They're there to make it safe. So God says, I've instituted government, and you're to obey the government. So uh, Paul's making it clear here that we're to, to do that. But the question that comes up always when we talk about Romans 13 is, well, what if the government laws contradict God's laws? I want to know about that. Well, if the laws that the government puts forward contradicts God's laws, well, then you have to choose God's laws. Fortunately, we live in a country where that's rarely the case. But in other times, in other places, in other countries, they've had to deal with that. There's a time in Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John prayed for a man. He was healed, and he got so excited with running and jumping and leaping and praising God and Peter seized the moment, got up and spoke about the name of Jesus and said it was the name of Jesus that healed this man. And if you have faith in this name, he will change your life. And this is just a sign that God's real, that he's powerful. And you too can have a relationship with God. And there was thousands that said, hey, we want this. And they were, their lives were changed. And Peter and John were arrested for it. And they brought them forward. They said, hey, what are you doing? Whose name? Whose power did you use? They said, we did this in the name of Jesus. They said, well, we are commanding you. You cannot speak in the name of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 4, Peter says, well, the law may say that, and, but I've got a question for you. Do we obey God or do we obey man? We're going to have to obey God in this situation. So there are times where you have to say, hey, I have to obey God in this situation. Would that happen in Canada? It could. It might. It has. 1998, when the Swiss Air Flight 111 went down in Peggy's Cove by in Nova Scotia. There was a big public service afterwards, and different religious leaders were invited to speak. But our government sent a letter to the churches that were represented there, and were going to be giving a little part of the service. The letter came from our federal office saying, we do not want you to refer to the New Testament, and we do not want you to mention the name of Jesus, lest somebody be offended. All the others could say whatever they wanted, got no such letter, every, all the other religions, but the, the Christian pastors were instructed not to use the name of Jesus, lest somebody be offended. Why is it that the name of Jesus offends and, and other prophets and leaders doesn't? But something about that name. Remember that song we used to sing, there's just something about that name? And there was. There was in the book of Acts. There is today. And so they got this letter. I don't know whether or not they used the name of Jesus but I know if Peter was there, I think he would have actually, he would have liked that opportunity. I think he would have just said, yeah, I'm going to preach about the name of Jesus all the more. I don't know what happened that day, but it was true. That you could, it's well documented. Government sent a letter, don't use the name of Jesus. 
And so they had a choice to make. Do we obey the law or do we obey God's word? Do we use the name of Jesus? So that could happen, but we choose to obey God. This happened to Daniel, thrown into the lion's den because he didn't bow. You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They got thrown into the fiery furnace. They were taken captive into Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar's got a big eagle. He wants everybody to worship him. He sits up a statue that's like 90 feet high, and everybody's supposed to bow. And these three guys who've been totally robbed of their identity, including a name change, they're, they are totally stripped of their identity, but they have this identity in God. And the law was when the music sounds, everybody has to bow. And these three guys, they stick out like a sore thumb because they don't bow. And word gets back to the king, hey, king, guess what? There's three guys there, three Hebrew boys, young guys. They didn't bow. The king likes them, so he calls them up to me. He says, hey, you guys, I'm going to give you another chance. Like, I don't know what's going on, but when that trumpet sounds or music sounds, you guys are supposed to bow. And they go, no, not going to do that. We're not going to bow. And he says, well, I don't know what God you serve, but I don't think he's going to be able to protect you. We went to your country. We couldn't find your God. Like, where is your God? We looked for the statutes. We looked for something. I don't know who this God is, but I, I doubt if he's able to protect you from my fiery furnace. And I love what they said. They said, our God is able. Our God is able. He is able to deliver us from the furnace, but even if he doesn't deliver us, we're not going to bow. So they throw them into the furnace. You know the story. And... Uh, Matter of fact, some of the people who threw them in got burnt throwing them in. It was so hot. And uh, the king says, you know, check on those guys, what's happening there. And they go to check, and they come back. They say, uh, uh, king, we got a problem. He says, what do you mean you got a problem? Says, well, actually, we have two problems. Says, well, what's the problem? Well, number one, they're not burning. And number two, uh, we got four people, not three people in there. The king goes, what? <laughs> you got four? How does that work? I don't know, but that fourth one, it looks like the Son of God. They got somebody else in there, and those guys are not burning. And, of course, you know the rest of the story. God showed up. The Son of God was there. We call that a Christophany, Jesus in the Old Testament. He was there in the fire with them, and they came out not even smelling like smoke. What did they do? They chose. They made a choice. No, we must serve God. So other times, absolutely. Throughout history, there's been numerous stories we could tell of people who chose to follow God in the face of that. Uh, another question that begs to be asked, well, what about corrupt leaders? What about people like Hitler? What about rulership governments like the Khmer Rouge and others? And we could give many examples. What about the Cultural Revolution in China, Mo Tang and others who suppressed the Bible, who suppressed God, a belief in God. What about those? Were they ordained by God? Like that doesn't make sense that God would ordain them. But God can even take the evil rulers and turn it for good. And sometimes the question needs to be asked is some people say, well, where is God? Well, the question is, where is man? Because really we get the government that we vote in. So that's another part of that answer to that question. But thinking of, we could respond to this It'd take a long time to discuss it, but I think of China because I went there a number of times in my studies, and when we studied and looked at what took place during the Cultural Revolution, where so many people we talked to were even in prison for their faith, and just the glow on their face, the, the love that they had, the way they prayed for the government, the way they didn't give in, and you think, God, is Christianity going to die in China? Will it wipe it out? That was the goal. The goal was to wipe out every trace of religion, burn the books, get rid of it. But there's something about the Christian faith. If you try to kill it, it's like a seed. It goes into the ground, and it just comes up bearing much more fruit. 
if you tried to kill it, that's a matter of fact, if you wanted to get rid of it, that's the last thing you do because it just comes back even stronger. And under that government, they were buried, so to speak, one million Christians in China in 1949. Today, they estimate conservatively 70 million Christians. By anybody's book, that's an amazing change from 1 million to 70 million. Others get more, others get less. Hard to get an accurate count. The latest accurate count they could find was about 70 million people. What happened? Out of that, God took that and turned it around. Today, China's booming economy, one of the greatest things they have is, a, is there's a, a contingency of, of just faithful believers we see in the nation of China. So we could take that example, take other examples, but nonetheless, we realize that we're to obey the government. Number three, we're supposed to be aware and be involved in the political process. In Romans 13, 5 to 7, he talks about obeying the government. But then he goes on to say, pay your taxes too. It's tax season, just in case you didn't notice. Pay your taxes for these same reasons. Government workers need to be paid so they can keep on doing the work that God intended them to do. You can be called to be a government worker. God's for government. And sometimes we've got to watch it because we speak bad about government. But God wants us to be praying for them. God, God is for government. I know this is not a very popular message and, you know, not everybody's going to download this message. But God is for government. God's for us being involved in government. Now, that doesn't mean you have to run for office. That doesn't mean you have to be a particular political party. But he wants us involved in the affairs of our country. Well, how do I be involved with it? He says, well, he talks about paying respect, paying your taxes, your input duties, and uh, give to whom is due. So let me go through a few th simple things. How can we involve? Number one, vote. We should vote. He said, Pastor, this is so basic. I know it's basic, but we need to vote. I sometimes have people come to me when time to vote, and they say, Pastor, who are you voting for? I says, well, who are you voting for? I don't know. I just, who you vote, because whoever you vote for, I'll vote for. I said, wait a minute, you lazy thing, go do your study. <laughs> you just want me to do all the homework, all the study, find out who I think would be a good candidate, and you're just going to go with me. No, I want, the best thing I can do is encourage you, you go study. You go find who you think is the best candidate, but you should go vote. That's our right to vote. Go vote. One of the greatest things we can do is vote. Aren't you glad we live in a country where we get to vote? It's our responsibility to vote. So, that's one thing we can do. Another thing we can do is exercise our rights. We can call our MP. We can call our MLA. We have the right to voice our opinion when our government does things we disagree with. We have the right to vote leaders in and out of office. We have the right to use our political influence to affect change to our nation's laws and statutes. This is a privilege we have of living in a free society, and we need to do it. For every mile of road, again, there's two miles of ditch. And I think that's why we have that picture on those banners in the back. On a mile of road with two miles of ditch. We use that phrase a lot. And one side of the ditch is passiveness, where believers are just like, you know what? I'm just going to pray. And praying's good. We'll talk about that a bit. We need to pray. But it's kind of like, that's my role. I'm just going to pray, and uh, whatever government get we get, I'm just going to wait for Jesus to come back and rescue us. And there was, at a t there was a time where that was really taught in certain church circles is just wait for Jesus to come back. Don't go to university. Don't get educated. Don't be involved. Jesus is coming back and just buy some more beans and he's going to be here soon and just hang in there till Jesus comes back. That is not what God called us to do. He said, occupy till I come back. Engage till I come back. Do something. Be involved. Serve. 
Get involved. Do be part of a, what's going on. Be salt and light. Don't hide your light under a basket. Be involved in the process. So that's one side. And the other side is believers that come across very anti. They're against everything. We're anti this, anti that, and placard this, in your face with this. And people go, ooh, that's Christianity. I don't know if I want anything about that. But down the middle of the road is this attitude that Christ said to go serve, to be, make a difference, roll up your sleeves, serve, get in the community and make a difference. And that is really, really attractive. Amen? And so that's our role. And we want to be involved in whatever way we can, not be passive, but rather be engaged. Another thing you can do as a believer is stand up for your rights. Sometimes you have to stand up for your rights. You are a Canadian citizen and you have certain rights. Paul did this. There was a time in Acts chapter 22 where they had arrested Paul. And uh, Acts chapter 2, 24, we, we have the story there. Paul is arrested. He's taken to the barracks, and they're going to torture him. And uh, as you're about to torture him, Paul asked this question in verse 25. He said, is this legal, torturing a Roman citizen without a fair trial? When the centurion heard that, he went directly to the captain. Do you realize what you've done? This man's a Roman citizen. The captain came back and took charge. Is what I hear right? You're a Roman citizen? Paul said, I certainly am. The captain was impressed. He said, I paid a huge sum for my citizenship. How much did it cost you? Nothing, said Paul. Cost me nothing. I was free from the day of my birth. That put a stop to the interrogation and put the fear of God under the captain. He had put a Roman citizen in chains and come within a whisker of putting him under torture. The next day, determined to get the root of the problem, know for sure what was behind the accusation, the captain released Paul and ordered a meeting of the high priest. What did Paul do there? He said, no, I am a Roman citizen, and I have certain rights. I'm going to exercise my rights. So we, as a believer, you don't have to roll over and play dead. You can say, wait a minute, I have certain rights here. As a Canadian, I have certain rights. And we have the privilege of doing that. Paul exercised that. Uh, the Bible, again, is filled with people that were involved in this, whether you talk in politics, Joseph, Daniel, David, Deborah, Gideon, Moses, Joshua, Esther, many others were involved with that. So how can we be involved? Those ways, and of course, paying our taxes. I haven't got an amen yet out of any of the services on that, but we can pay our taxes. <laughs> yeah. Jesus said, give to Caesars, what's Caesars? Give to God, what's God? They tried to trick him. They said, you know, should we pay taxes? And if he would have said yes, they thought, oh, okay. If he says yes, then he's not really the Messiah. If he says no, it's treason. So they tried to trick him. Jesus is so brilliant. He says, give me a coin. Whose picture? Caesar's. Well, give to Caesar's what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God. Still works today. Pay our taxes. It should never be the witness of a Christian that you don't pay your taxes. It should never be the witness of a Christian that we're heavily in debt and not paying back. Okay, there we go. I needed that, amen. Thank you. <laughs> All right, number four. I've got to wrap up here. Fulfill the royal law of loving your neighbor. Paul concludes this chapter talking about the royal law. Of course, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, pay your debts, accept to the debt of loving others. You can never finish paying that. Now, he didn't say it's not wrong, it's not wrong to have debt. It's not wrong to borrow, but it's wrong to be not paying it back. And it's wrong to owe more than you can afford. We have a society, a Canadian society, where we borrow money that we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't know. 
That's what we do. That's what Canadians do. Our debt to income ratio last year hit an all-time high of 150%, close to 150%. Let me give you a graph. This is where we're going. This is Canada. From 1990 to 2011, look where we're headed. And Paul said, don't be in debt. Good citizens can't carry a country if we live like that. Now, again, I'm not saying it's wrong to borrow, to, be in, to, have a, to have a debt, pay it, but you can't live in that kind of a ratio and be healthy. Very practical, but a good citizen can't live that way. All right. I didn't come to preach and make you happy. just came to tell you the truth. <laughs> oh. My time's almost gone. I need to close on the story this morning. But it makes sense that if we love our neighbors as ourselves, we'll end up keeping the laws of the land and we'll keep the rest of God's laws and you'll be amazing citizens. But it starts with renewing our mind. If it's clear here, we'll live it out. And we should have, as believers, we should be living an amazing testimony in our city, in our country. Amen? There's so much I'd like to say, but I just for the sake of time, can't do it. So I'm going to tell you a story in, in, in closing this morning. This well-known author, her name is Opal Whetstone, and she is traveling from Flagstaff, Arizona, to Albuquerque, New Mexico, by Greyhound Bus. How many travel by Greyhound Bus? All right. A good number of us. You, you know the Greyhound Bus experience, right? I mean, it's, it's unique, the Greyhound Bus experience. So, so she's on this Greyhound Bus traveling through... The countryside and they stop at this little town you know the greyhound bus you stop at every little town along the way and you wake up go back to sleep wake up go back to sleep so she wakes up and this it's a little indian community and this young teenager gets on and he sits behind her and uh, not far down the road it's a cold day it's february maybe the warmth of the bus the the sounds and so forth he's fast asleep and as they travel down the road all of a sudden he wakes up and he gets up and looks around, and he goes to the front, and he asks the bus driver, did we pass a certain stop? And the bus driver says, yes, we passed that a long time ago. So she watched him walk back to his seat, and he's got this panic look on his face, and he sits down there, really nervous. Ten minutes later, he gets back up and walks back to the bus driver and says, bus driver, I have to get off there. That was my stop, and what am I going to do? Can you let me off here? I'm going to walk back. The bus driver says, no, I will not let you get off. It's cold. It's a long ways, and I'm not going to have any part of it. I'm not stopping the bus. You're going all the way to Albuquerque. You can get another bus. Go back to your town. And this young teenager, he walked back. You could tell he was so, he, she said he was so scared. And he sat down, and she turned around and looked at him. She says, are you afraid? Can I help you? He goes, yeah, I don't have any money. I've never been to Albuquerque. I've always lived in rural Arizona, and I have, I have no idea what I'm going to do there. And she says, you know, it'll, it'll be okay. Let me go talk to the bus driver. And so she went up and talked to the bus driver and said, you know, sir, when the bus gets there, can you make sure he gets on another bus and doesn't have to pay to go back to there? And he's, he's, he's not liking that idea. But she spends some time with him, negotiates, and gets him a free ride basically back with the help of that bus driver. So she comes back, she tells him, you know Look, it's going to be okay. I talked to the bus driver. He's going to get you on another bus. He'll help you, and you don't have to pay. It's going to be okay. And he said, thanks. Ten minutes later, he taps her on the shoulder, 
And he says, can I ask you a question? She goes, sure. Are you a Christian? Has anybody ever asked you, are you a Christian? I think the way I live our life should be salty that people say, are you a Christian? Not because we've been jaded or negative or anti this or anti that, but because we've loved and served and loved our neighbor. And people say, you must be a Christian. Love your neighbor as yourself. The rest will work out. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.